Well, good morning, everybody, and a very happy Christmas Eve to you. I don't know if you're all ready for Christmas at this point and all the decorations are up or whether it's going to be a sort of a mad rush from this point onwards uh, when you get home. When I was growing up, we always used to save the decorating of the tree and the rest of the house until Christmas Eve. We wouldn't do anything up until that point, and then it would all be this big decorating uh, time. And I thought that this um, was a kind of a long-running family tradition when I was growing up, that Patterson's down through the years had been doing this. I later discovered that the reason that we didn't get the tree for a couple of days until Christmas was actually was because my dad was a massive cheapskate. And what he used to do was to take the tree that our primary school had been using during the season of December and take it home, then that would become our tree. He would bring the, uh, the van along, bed loaded in. They'd get brownie points for recycling. Everyone was happy. But it did mean that if you so much as breathed near the tree come Christmas Day, that a whole shower of needles would come uh, cascading down to the floor. So anyway, after having got this tree just a couple of days before Christmas Eve, we would then wait till Christmas Eve to do the decorating. And again, I think that had slightly less to do with tradition and slightly more to do with getting my brother and me out of the way while other things happened in the rest of the house. But there was one tradition that my dad did do for a very particular reason in all of this, which is that he wouldn't allow us to switch on the lights on the tree until Christmas morning itself. We'd do all the decorating and stuff on Christmas Eve, but we wouldn't switch on the lights till Christmas morning. We'd wait, we'd come downstairs when it was still dark and early, perhaps earlier still than some people in the family would have liked, and we'd gather around the tree and we'd switch on the lights for the first time in the season and would sing the carol, O Come All Ye Faithful. And it was a wonderful moment that I remember from my childhood every year. But we didn't simply do it because it was sort of nice and tingly, um, or because my dad wanted to save electricity, not switching on the lights before that point, although that was probably also true. But the reason we did it was because there was something deeply symbolic about switching on the lights on Christmas Day. I wonder if you've ever thought about why we even have lights as a part of our Christmas decorations. Why do we put lights on the Christmas tree? Originally, in in previous centuries, uh, we would have put candles on the tree. That was um, historically how it had been done. Now, of course, it's LEDs in a more fire hazard conscious time. But why do we even put lights on the tree at all? Where does that go back to, that tradition? Is it just because we want a little bit of cheer on a chilly winter evening? Well, originally, it all goes back to the passage that we heard first um, read this morning from Isaiah chapter 9, from the prophet Isaiah in the Old Testament, who was writing about 700 years before the birth of Jesus. And he wrote this passage about light and darkness that we heard. He was writing during a time when everything seemed to have gone wrong for him and for his people. It was the end of a long story that had been running through the Old Testament uh, in the Bible, a story about his people and how they had been chosen by God to be God's representatives in the world. But they hadn't really wanted to do that. They hadn't wanted to listen to God. And over the centuries, they'd gone off and done their own thing, and things had gone wrong, and mistakes had been made. And it had all ended up in tragedy when God had allowed the Assyrian Empire to come and invade their land. If you walk about 20 minutes to my left to the British Museum, you can actually see the very event 
that Isaiah was describing, carved in stone in the, from the Assyrian archives. And Isaiah described what had happened as being like a great darkness that had fallen upon them all because it had gone wrong with God and because their lives had been turned upside down. But the problem wasn't just about the immediate crisis that they faced. Their situation was bad. But Isaiah could also see that it was symptomatic of a much deeper problem that has always been there within the world. The world always seems to be a place where darkness sort of seems to creep in when we don't want it. From the quite horrific things that we see on our TV screens or the things that we know will be happening just round the corner, even in 21st century civilized central London, or the personal tragedies that happen in our own lives, or even just the day-to-day disappointments and anticlimaxes of life. There are all sorts of ways in which darkness just seems to creep in everywhere. Isaiah was speaking about this about two and a half thousand years ago, but he could have been speaking about today. But as well as identifying the darkness, Isaiah's job was also to announce news of light and hope from God. That was the point of the passage that we heard read. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. For to us a child is born and a son is given. In other words, Isaiah foretold that there would come a day in the future when God would do something that would be like a great shaft of light breaking into the darkness of the world. Or perhaps a bit like switching on the tree lights on a dark December morning. He would send a son to be born. And this son would be one who would rise up and be appointed by God to bring light to the darkness of the world. Now, imagine it all sounds nice in theory. I suspect we like the sound of what Isaiah is describing here. It'd be great, wouldn't it, if God would send someone who can bring light into the dark places in our lives and in the world. A kind of a true and lasting light, hope in the midst of despair, in a way that doesn't sort of disappear after a while. But what kind of person would they have to be? A political leader? A doctor? An influencer? After Isaiah wrote this, centuries passed and nobody really seemed to kind of fit the job description, if you like. But Matthew, the writer of the gospel that we had the rest of our readings from this morning, he wants to persuade us that Jesus is the light that Isaiah predicted. If you still got hold of one of those copies of Matthew's gospel that we gave you on the way in, do please open it up and turn to page 11 Um, which is chapter 4, and that uh, last reading that we heard. Now, this is a a little uh, freebie from us to you this Christmas to take away. So feel free to, you know, bend the spine (laughs) and write in it or whatever you want to do. But have a look down at that uh, sentence there that's uh, with a little 12 next to it on page 11 in chapter 4. And let me read the passage again that we heard. When Jesus heard that John, that's John the Baptist, had been put in prison, he withdrew to Galilee. Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali, 
to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah. Land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is the point that Matthew wants to convince us of, that the answer to Isaiah's prediction has already begun. It began 2,000 years ago when Jesus came on the scene in Galilee, the very land that the Assyrians had first conquered. And Matthew wants us to believe that through Jesus, God is continuing to bring light into our world, into the present day and on into the future as well. This is what Jesus means when he says that the kingdom of heaven has come near in sentence 17 of the reading there. God has done something new in our world and he is continuing to do it. The world changed 2,000 years ago and it hasn't been the same since. And the offer that Jesus wants to make is that you can come and be a part of what God is doing through him. Come to Jesus and he will bring light from God into your life and transform you into somebody who brings light to the world. Does that sound appealing? Now I imagine that what I've said so far both is and isn't convincing to you, especially if you're somebody who wouldn't particularly call yourselves a Christian, wouldn't normally go to church. On the one hand, Jesus has undeniably had a big impact on our world. It's hard to find somebody who's had a bigger impact on our world. The fact that you yourself have put lights on your Christmas tree this season goes all the way back to Jesus. That's where the tradition comes from. Jesus claiming that he was the light in the darkness that Isaiah had predicted. Regent Street, when we step out the door, is decked with lights. Where did that all come from, that tradition? And if you take home this copy of Matthew's Gospel and read on just the rest of the chapter, let alone the rest of the book, you'll begin to see why Jesus has had such an extraordinary impact upon our world. Because he could do things that nobody else has ever been able to do. And he said remarkable things. And something happens to him at the end of the story that has never happened to anyone before or since, which is that God raised him from the dead. Now, you might be skeptical about that, of course, and do please come along to our Hope Explored course that we're running in January with all of your questions. But there's no denying the impact that Jesus has had on our world. But on the other hand, you might be thinking, well, if it's true that Jesus can bring this light from God that is supposed to transform the world, well, why is the world still full of darkness? It's been 2,000 years. Why isn't it a better place already? And that's a fair challenge. It's true that Jesus' work of bringing light to our world has been a slow work in some ways. I think, quite frankly, if I were God, I would have gone for a quicker fix. I would have got it all sorted. And Jesus is full of surprises, as you will see if you read on through Matthew's Gospel. In sentence 17 of the reading that we, we just had there, he says, he tells the people that he's speaking to that they need to repent which in the original language that it was translated from basically means to change your mind. He expects that people will have to change their thinking about this light that is coming from God through him. 
But what he does offer is to turn you into the kind of person that God intended you to be. This is the light that he brings. And there's no promise that that will be an easy process. But there is a promise that it will be a transformation so complete that one day God will raise you from the dead like Jesus when the work of bringing light to the whole of our world is finished. Well, our time is almost up, and may I wish you again a very happy Christmas Eve, and I hope that your Christmas day is filled with light and filled with cheer. Please do take away this copy of Matthew's Gospel and give it a read. It doesn't take that long to read. You can probably um, knock it out on Boxing Day afternoon as you're digesting the leftovers or whatever. But have another look at it. Perhaps if you've read it before and haven't read in a while, have another look and see for yourself whether Jesus really is the light in the darkness or whether we need to look for somebody else.